I know you all have had this experience before where you've, you've sat with friends, you've sat with family, you've sat with recently reunited folks, and you have wondered, you've pondered about the whereabouts of folks that you once knew, folks who dropped off the radar, so to speak. I was on the phone just last week with an old buddy of mine that I've known for years, and, and we were having that kind of a conversation. Whatever happened to, to Steve? See, we all have relationships like that. We've all been in relationships like that. Relationships that when we were in them, we were incredibly optimistic that these were relationships that were going to be lifelong relationships. And then something happened. Reality hit. You went your separate ways. And now it's just a memory. What you thought was going to turn into something is now just part of your history. See, as I come to this passage this morning, I wonder if the disciples of Jesus ever felt like this was going to be their narrative. Like this was going to be part of their story. I mean, think about it. Jesus comes on the scene after living some 30 years in relative obscurity. And he comes on the scene with the anticipation that he is the one. He is the long-awaited Messiah prophesied about for generations upon generations among the Jewish people. He is the one who will restore them to their God-granted prominence in the world and will whip off, who will shake off the Roman rule, an oppressive empire that sits on the Jewish people. And this Jesus comes on the scene and, and he amazes these men who he's speaking to this morning. He amazes them with his teaching with his miracles, he recruits them and they, they follow. And then what happens? He won't let the demons say anything about him. The heart of his ministry, all things that we've looked at before, the heart of his ministry is not in Jerusalem amongst all the influencers in that culture, but it's in Galilee. Among the nobodies, the unknowns. And then to top it all off, Jesus is just not clear. He tells these stories that are just confusing. The disciples had to have been asking Jesus, are you planning on living in obscurity Did we read this wrong? We thought this was going to be big, but are we 30 years from now going to be asking, yeah, whatever happened to that guy Jesus that we followed for a few years? You see, I think that is the reason why Jesus sits his disciples down and tells them these stories. Because I think they were being tempted to go there. And this is what Jesus wants to address in their hearts. And it's what Jesus wants to address in our hearts this morning as we gather years and years later. Two truths for us to meditate on this morning. And the first one is simply this. The kingdom 
is, capital I, capital S, the kingdom is coming. Believe it and seek it. The kingdom is coming. Believe it and seek it. You see, for Jesus, there is no uncertainty where this is all headed. It's only a matter of time. But Jesus knows that his disciples need to hear this. And so he speaks to them about something first, so common and so basic. He speaks to them about light, about the nature of light. Because he knows there's no need to ask, what is light for? We can ask any of our kids, kids, what is light for? It's to shine. It's to make things seen. Light exists in order to shine into darkness. By its very nature, it is designed to break through resistance in order to be seen. And this, Jesus says, is the nature of my kingdom. This is the inevitable result of my coming. This is the inevitable result of my teaching. And John will declare in his gospel that in him was life, that is, in Jesus was life, in and end the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And then in chapter 8 of John, a passage many of us know well, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus sits down his disciples and he assures them, guys, the kingdom is coming. All that you had hoped for, no, more than you hoped for, more than you ever imagined is coming. Believe it. Seek it. Trust me. We've talked about this before, but everything that Jesus does, everything he does in his ministry has purpose. Jesus is concerned about timing, which is why he shushed the demons. He is conscious of resistance, which is why he speaks in a veiled way that his enemies can't understand. He knows the human heart and he knows how things are going to play out if certain things occur prematurely. See, everything Jesus is doing that's confusing the disciples is purposeful. And so Jesus assures them the kingdom is coming. Believe it and seek it. Now this won't be the final word for the disciples. The disciples are just like us. They're so forgetful. They'll forget. They'll become disillusioned once again before they have to be ignited again. And remember, the crucifixion will come before the glory of the resurrection. Well, the disciples will go through this again. But at this time, in this place, the Lord Jesus wants to remind them, don't despair. The kingdom is coming. So why does Jesus say this to us? To the disciples. Well, I've, I've already talked a little bit about why he 
says it to the disciples, he loves them. He knows how they're feeling. He wants to encourage them. He wants to instill confidence in them in the midst of their discouragement. But what about you? What about me? Do you ever get discouraged about the kingdom? Do you ever get discouraged that Jesus' reign and rule isn't as it should be? I do. I mean, let's first start with my heart. I get discouraged that God's kingdom isn't reigning in my heart as it should. The same old ruts I'm falling into after 42 stinking years. And then I think about the church. I think about this church, the church God has called me to. And it seems like at times we take two steps forward and then a step back. Those of you who have been at this church longer than me feel that even more than I do. Two steps forward, one step back. And then our culture, our world, geez, what a mess. I mean, I talked about identifying with our city. Let's not do that. But even thinking globally, nationally, I've been reading a book and it starts off, the very beginning of the book starts off with this paragraph. It says, something has changed. Can you feel it? The air temperature has suddenly dropped and a strong breeze has descended. The long-watched laden clouds of secularism are now forebodingly overhead. Heavy drops splatter around us, promising a downpour of disbelief. Anxiously, we look for shelter, for cover, for higher ground. We wonder if the structures and shelters that surround us will withstand the impending flood. After the deluge, what will stand? Which of the structures have strong enough foundations? Which trees have deep enough roots who has the resilience to hold on when the waters come what will remain what will disappear you see it forces us to ask what will happen to christianity what will happen to those of us who love and follow jesus i mean our culture tells us we have an intolerant outdated message and it's just a matter of time before humanity outgrows this Are we ever tempted to believe that's true? Jesus says, no. Have confidence. The light will have its way. We today ask the question, whatever happened to the Roman Empire? It's in ruins. You can go visit some of it. It's a bunch of rocks. Whatever happened to Napoleon's conquest? It's part of the history books. Whatever happened to the kingdom of Jesus? No. The kingdom of Jesus is alive and well in this room, in this region, in this country, and all over the world, and there is more to come because the kingdom is coming. Believe it. And seek it. Jesus doesn't want you to lose sight 
amidst the length of this journey of what is coming. But Jesus says these words and he gives us these pictures for another reason as well, not just to encourage us, I think, in our temptation to be discouraged at times, but to invoke, to evoke a response from us as well. Verse 24, pay attention to what you hear, he says. Jesus says, are you listening? If you're listening, listen more closely. Get on board. The more you want, the more you want to know, the more you want to experience, the more you want to understand, the more you'll get. And the more you will reflect. You see, the spiritually eager get rewarded with more, more insight, more blessing, more life. While the spiritually apathetic, they receive nothing. And in essence, the parable, the parables propel you in the way you want to go. And Jesus wants his followers to not only understand the things of the kingdom, but to yearn for more of the kingdom, to pursue more of the kingdom. He will preach in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things will be added to you. And Jesus says this for your joy and for his glory. And it's a reminder for all of us to not let the things of the Lord take a back seat in our lives. Jesus says, pay attention. Believe what's coming, what's happening right now. Pursue it. The more you pursue, the more you'll see. The deeper you go, the deeper it gets. Because it's not just Jesus who's the light of the world, but it's us, the church, who's the salt of the earth and the light of the world, reflections of who that Jesus is. And so he says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So friends, despite how you might feel at times, rejoice that the kingdom is coming. Believe it. Seek it. You have not because you ask not. Ask for more of it. Well, Jesus in these pictures this morning not only speaks of the future end of the kingdom, but he also speaks about the means to get there. He not only reminds us that the kingdom is coming, but he talks about how that kingdom is going to get to that point as well. And essentially, he says to his disciples and to us, you're going to be a little bit surprised at how this kingdom grows. And it's the second truth I want us to meditate on. The kingdom is coming. Sow the word and trust it. Or you could say, the kingdom is coming. 
sow the word, and go to sleep. When Jesus spoke these words of reassurance to his disciples, it wasn't if, as if he calmed all of their fears. It wasn't, if he sa- it wasn't as if he said, shock and awe is coming tomorrow morning, guys. Get ready for it. Caesar is going to be gone. Tomorrow every knee will bow and every tongue will confess The kingdom is coming, just wait 24 hours. No, instead, Jesus tells another story in verses 26 through 34. And it's a story that only Mark records for us. And this time, instead of discussing the nature of light, he discusses the nature of a seed. And a very specific, tiny seed. A mustard seed. I think he wants to illustrate two things about this coming kingdom. First of all, a seed has inherent, mysterious, unknown power. The growth that occurs here does so automate in the Greek. Automate by itself. See, the emphasis of verse 27, look at it with me there. The emphasis on verse 27 is what? It is the nothingness of man's activity. I mean, this farmer doesn't prep the soil. This farmer doesn't fertilize. This farmer doesn't worry about weed control. He sows and he goes to sleep. He wakes up, he goes to sleep. He wakes up, he goes to sleep. And the seed does its thing. There's this mysterious force outside of the farmer's control that just simply causes the farmer to trust. And of course, we know from previous weeks that seed is the word of God and it's Jesus' reminder to his disciples and it's Jesus' reminder to us here today that this is God's work. The kingdom is coming, believe it and seek it, but the kingdom is coming, sow the word and go to sleep. The kingdom is not built by us. The kingdom is built by God. We are stewards called to simply trust. As the psalmist said in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. There are a couple missionaries in church history who I think have illustrated this trust for us so beautifully. One of them we studied in the middle school class this past year, William Carey. Remember William Carey, folks? You kids who were in my class. William Carey labored for seven years in India without one single person believing Jesus. And then finally he got a convert. And then he ministered for another 40 years with really little impact, little work to show for it. 
We watched a video. We saw his grave in India. It's a very simple, nondescript grave, not celebrated at all. But now William Carey is known as the father of modern missions because he ignited from Europe a missionary wave of those who would go out to spread the gospel, to proclaim the truth. The exact same thing was true for Adoniram Judson. He was a late 18th century, early 19th century missionary to Burma. Again, seven years in that country without one single person to show for it. And he wrote at one point near the end of his life, he wrote this, in spite of sorrow, loss and pain, our cause be onward still. We sow on Burma's barren plain we reap on Zion's hill. You see, these men believe Jesus' words. The kingdom is coming. Sow the word and go to sleep. Or trust. All these promises that many of you know come into the picture here. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose. James 5 says, Be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. You also be patient. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, so he who neither plants nor who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Philippians 1, 6, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Sow the word and trust. There's another thing I think Jesus wants to communicate to us about the nature of the seed. Not just that it has this inherent power that doesn't need us, but also what seems insignificant at first will become huge. We love these kinds of stories, but we've got to admit it's hard. It's hard to picture them at the beginning. I was trying to think of something relevant to Seattleites. In 1976, a receiver was drafted and almost cut in the preseason by the Houston Oilers. They said he was too small. They said he was too slow for pro football. Steve Largent, Seattle Seahawk wide receivers, now in the Hall of Fame. We love these stories. Jesus is saying this mustard seed, it's so, it's so tiny, and yet this thing, you guys know it, disciples, he's saying, you guys know it. This little tiny seed grows into the sh- a shrub that can be like eight feet, ten feet tall, and Jesus says it has branches that provide shade, that provide shelter for creatures in need. That's no mistake that Jesus adds those little details 
Not just that the little tiny seed is going to grow into this huge shrub, this huge plant. Not just that what is insignificant is going to be gigantic, but that it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a blessing to the nations, to all those who come to it and sit under it. And we know as we sit here now in 2016 that this ragtag bunch of unemployed Jews, they won't need media, might, or military muscle, but they will change the world. These guys will change the world. And all they have is a message of love for sinners and a supernatural seed that does its work. We've marveled before at the rise of Christianity. It began right here, and it it shouldn't have worked, but it did work because it's God's work. Now, let me just say this. Let me interject this into this call to go to sleep. This, Jesus is not saying, do nothing. He is not telling the church, do nothing. This is not a call to inactivity. There are other places where Jesus has plenty to tell us to do. But here at this time, in this place, in this morning, Jesus wants to assure his followers to trust him, that the kingdom is coming, that God is at work. Small beginnings are okay, Ascension. Don't worship bigness. Resist the lie that says that gathering here once a week, singing songs and listening to sermons is a waste of time. No, God is at work. God is at work here. So take heart and trust. Speak the word. Live the word. The kingdom is coming. Jesus' rule and reign will never be simply relegated to the history books. He will reign over all of us. And the sooner we grab a hold of that, the better off we'll be. Believe it, trust it, seek it, sow the word, and go to sleep. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the power of that word, the mysterious power of these words of life that you have given the church the flower and the grass of the seed will fall away, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, we pray that we would go from this place with a greater confidence in what we have been given. Holy Spirit, as you have promised, Accomplish your purposes, your kingdom work in our hearts, in this church, in our region, in our country, for our good and for the glory of your name. Oh, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.